Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Hitchhiking with Drunken Nuns. Yet again, I stick out my thumb to serendipity and wonderful things happen. Today I have made a new friend. Her name is Chrissy, and I will introduce you to her shortly. The title of this episode is going to be The Prophetic Role of the Transgender community and as soon as I heard Chrissy talking about this I realized instantly that this was something that I wanted to share with you. I listen to a lot of podcasts and recently I've listened to people like Science Mike of the podcast Ask Science Mike and the Liturgists talking about his role in society as a white male and how he almost wanted to stand down from his position of authority and to give that space to women and minorities and to people who he thought needed that space more than him. But imagine someone who has lived most of their life as a man, someone who then takes the form, takes on the form of a woman's body, presents as a woman and then continues to speak to the world with the power of that female voice. It is such a powerful thing. It is such a beautiful thing. And it is something that the world needs. It is a perspective that I need, that I long for in my life. So I don't want to talk too much. I want to introduce you as soon as I can to my new friend and let her speak for herself. Hey people, I am sitting in a car in the middle of Sheffield with my new best friend, uh, Chrissy, and Again, I'm in one of those wonderful serendipitous moments that I really want to share with you guys. Chrissy has a voice that needs to be heard, that needs to be heard, and also a voice that will be heard because it is the time. Um, it is the, the the time in the world today for for this voice, and I'm so excited. I sensed. I sense talking about the patriarchy and Christianity and all these things that I think about so often. And suddenly today I've met Chrissy out of nowhere and she, and she's making sense, answering questions that I was on the verge of asking and quite got round to it. So what have you got for us there, Chrissy? Is that a poem that you've written? I'm writing a novel yeah. based on my grandfather's life in the First World War. Wow. His life as a stable hand uh, with horses. Yeah. When he came back from the war, all those horses were slaughtered. They were left as meat in France. Oh, my God. And the life that he knew, apart from the horror of the war, had evaporated, been destroyed. And he was plunged into working in the mines. As a country boy, that must have been quite horrific. So I'm writing a novel about his life, and last night I went, uh, Saturday night, I went to a pub gig, a folk gig, 
and there was a beautiful girl helping lead the band and looking at her and hearing these ancient traditions another chapter of my novel kind of fell into place and I just wrote a, a seed uh, a seed chapter that can grow out from cloying clogged trenches they clambered into the fire of a thousand guns and there they fell only boys and men no girls well secret few slaughtered no difference between Christian men and faithful pagans all equaled in the face of death mm. followers of ancient paths both marched to hymns some to flute penny whistle and the drum Remembering Kerry as they fell, captivated by the skin of her bare shoulders in the bars of their town. Her haunting flute calling them home, flesh and blood, bone and sinew torn asunder, sinking under their mud, eyeballs still open. Their last sight, the open heavens, clear blue skies, silence of the skylarks, death. And visions of Kerry playing her flute, sweet music calling them home. Dim mother of God, voices silenced, echoing in eternity. There's such a oneness in death, isn't there? And in war, I guess war itself is an equalising thing. Well, they say that thing. the the Great War, what an ironic name, mm. was the beginning of the death of God, God as we knew him. That so many men came from back from the war, questioning if this was God. Where was God in the trenches? Yeah. Where was Christ in the trenches? Because many of those men felt and saw many crucifixions and questioned the significance of God and the patriarchy started to unravel for many in the questioning of the war and the war poets and the evolution that we're part of, the theme of postmodern thinking that we're part of, I think is in part rooted in the questioning and dumbness of war the dumbness of the authority that can send men to their graves so lightly so, um, yeah. so that's where I'm coming from so many of us we can be faced by the, patriar the patriarchy daily but not ever see it not ever really see it and sometimes it can take an, an event as shocking as, as war and be, to be faced with your own death for you for, for, for society to be forced to, to look at that question well, patriarchy, if, I mean, the church is crippled by patriarchy, but if you open the Bible, patriarchy is the product of the fall, because before the fall, whether we read the Bible literally or symbolically, before the fall, there was no patriarchy. Man didn't dominate woman. Yeah. It was only in the symbolic curse of the fall yeah. that man felt the need to, to dominate women. Um, and so the patriarchy of church is a very fallen concept, and yet we we're ruled by it in Western culture. And so to to shake off the shackles of patriarchy is freedom, it's liberation. And yet the church is light years behind. They cling to patriarchy, they cling to hierarchy, they cling to authority. And I feel that our role in life is to prophetically occupy the spaces, to go in to the churches and say look are you going to love us or are you going to hate us what are you going to do with us we don't fit within your within your binary vision of life in a way forcing people to to answer that you know. that question i chat sometimes with my my friend b 
Bingo, who's uh, transgender. And, and what Bingo says is the question of equal pay. Where do you put transgender people or non-binary people with the question of equal pay? And, and things like that really challenge the system. And I'd never even considered that question. My, um, how the reason I won't, I won't stop digging when it comes to kind of questions of religion and, and faith is I do think those, those, the way that we see God affects the way we see the world as a whole. You know, religious structures, I think, quite often affect political structures, don't they're, they? They're interwoven. I mean, Bob Marley called it the Babylon system. They're one and the same. The political structures, the patriarchal structures of church, they're all rooted in corrupt, fallen, worldly systems. The, king, yeah. the kingdom of heaven cannot operate through corrupted systems. The kingdom of heaven is all about love. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven come down. It, you can't minister love. Mm. You, don't, you don't gain love by, by virtue of a position, a title, an office, a hierarchy. You gain love through being a child of God, through mm. the intimacy of being loved. Yeah. If there is a God, if there is a God, if perchance there is a God, and God is love, then our authority, our, our ability to influence, our ability to change, to leave this world a better place, is derived in that relationship of being loved by God. Not by hierarchy, not by office, not by position, yeah. not by title. And I really believe that the church needs to tear down these concepts yeah. of priests and vicars and senior pastors mm. And get back to releasing us. The love body. is a liberating force, um, the strongest liberating force. And the gifts within the church, which are crippled by patriarchy. Hundreds and thousands of gifted, beautiful people in churches who are mute, silenced, and can't speak, can't use their gifts because a precious few are elevated into positions of authority. They pay lip service, they pay lip service to, to being servants. But it's all about hierarchy, authority, and rule. Yeah. Tonight, I mentioned um, a Netflix documentary called Accidental Courtesy. The chap in it called Daryl. It's something like Daryl Evans. I love the sound effect. Yes. And he uh, has made it his personal mission to befriend members of the Ku Klux Klan, and he collects their robes. And once they are friends with him, then their whole belief system starts to crumble you know we hate black people but not daryl because he's okay and then they start questioning things and personally i think that is the only way i personally think that love is the only way to make any sort of lasting change if you're coming against someone in the same spirit in which they're attacking you how is that going to make it any different because you just end up being the same and and speaking to chrissy today saying that um having had did you spend many years in evangelical churches i've been paid up pastor really <laughs> oh wow it gets yeah. even more interesting oh the layers in your life yeah. beautiful but chrissy is now as a woman still inhabiting those spaces but not in an aggressive way in a loving way and and then oh, i i just find so much beauty in that and grace as well right main mainstream church is telling the transgender community that they shouldn't exist they can be transgender but they mustn't exist as transgender they mustn't identify as transgender they mustn't 
appear as transgender. They can they can accept that they're transgender. That is to cripple, crucify, uh, repress, and suppress someone's personality, their intrinsic being, their intrinsic worth, and tell them that they can't exist. And that's mainstream evangelical churches. And so, for me to walk into these churches and say, "Are you going to love me, or are you going to hate me?" How are you going to deal with me? How are you going to treat me? How are you going to tell me how I should live my life? What really moves me is that it's only been in recent years that I've stopped calling God He. And I've, I've, you know, I've thrown the word she at God and it's only ever half stuck because I'm telling you as much as I think it's not ingrained in me, it probably is after decades of calling God He. But the role that transgender people have in the church of helping us deconstruct that masculine image of God. I'm actually on the verge of tears right now because I feel somehow that that little thread that I have around kind of the the gendered idea of God, I feel that something just through your presence and through this conversation is being unraveled. What is orthodoxy to the church? We have 2,000 years of tradition and orthodoxy. The evangelicals cry that we must be orthodox. Believe in the right things, orthodoxy. Orthodoxy has oppressed women for 2,000 years. Orthodoxy has condoned and even created slavery, biblically justified it. So orthodoxy often only has one interpretation of scripture. But when I read in the beginning... God created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. Again, if that's literal or if it's symbolical, if it's mythical, it doesn't matter. There's such wisdom and beauty and truth coming through these ancient scriptures. It says, God said, let us make them in our own image. Male and female, he created them. Now, orthodoxy says you can only be male or female. But the scriptures don't say that. That is just one interpretation of scripture. God is neither male or female. He is both. He is neither. He is either. Mm-hmm. She. Love doesn't need so a form or a male, certain form. Male and female is a reflection of the divine. It's a reflection of the divine image of God. For a transgender person, they carry fluidly mm-hmm. and understand fluidly male and female better than a cisgender person perhaps we understand something of the heart of God that binary thinking can't comprehend so again we are exploring theology pushing the boundaries of theology which is dictated and dominated by white middle class males our bodies create our theology A white cisgender male, middle class man, his theology is created by his experience and by his body. Does does that mean that our theology is invalid? Does it mean Mm. that our insights into scripture are invalid? You know, you're seeing transgender people as as oppositional to this idea of God and church, but now I'm... Not oppositional, but 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 now I see it. No, no, beyond that beyond that it's it's the embodiment itself it's you're not something on the fringe you're something on at the center so as as a female with a, a view of god as as male there, there's this almost kind of 
opposing forces as you've gone down this 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 journey of self-discovery do you feel that that you're discovering god more as you discover your own gender identity and and as you you know i can't find quite find the right words for it i met jesus on the streets of delhi new delhi india as a drug addict as an opium addict i met jesus i had an encounter with jesus 37 38 years ago and then became a pastor and i fell in love with jesus and i felt jesus call me i felt jesus saying come follow me come follow me come follow me and i will make you i will make you jesus was going to make me into something when i was worthless when i was nothing when i was just human refuse mm. Refu- you know I was on the garbage heap mm. of humanity so I understand Jesus I understand Christianity I've been immersed in it for 30 40 years but my relationship with God only took off in the moment that I was honest with him her and said to mm. God I am transgender something for which I'd felt guilty ashamed I believed it to be sinful. Mm. The scriptures as I understood them condemned me. And all of a sudden I was in crisis. Because in my experience I knew God say to me, in my female being, Chrissy, I love you just as you are. And in that moment all my guilt, all my shame, all my self-hatred, all my suicidal ideation, 50 years of suicide, thoughts evaporated because God spoke to me personally and said Chrissy I love you just as you are and in that my evangelical faith was sent into crisis because scriptures say that any man who wears the clothing of a woman is detestable to God any woman who wears a man's clothing is detestable to God I believed that and I was tormented by that I was riddled with guilt all my life as a Christian you can't have ever truly felt that God loved you if you were holding on to that belief because I I have always been intrinsically and intuitively and naturally feminine in my wiring, my thinking my emotion, my worship my devotion to God is expressed in a very feminine way because that's who I am And so I've had to go on a journey of asking what do the scriptures actually mean? Is there another way of understanding scripture outside of a binary, orthodox, conservative, evangelical, defensive, fearful, judgmental paradigm? And I've discovered that yes, there is God is love and that we can understand scripture from a place of love and wisdom and that actually evangelical truths which have we've been brainwashed in are only opinions they're only opinions of what scripture means and there are very eloquent and very gifted theologians who can present alternative um, understandings of these ancient scriptures which are equally valid and I believe in part that I can do that too that I can help formulate a theology for an emerging church which is inclusive, embracing, honest, true, consistent, 
Authentic. Authentic. All of the words. Um, and if I had time, I could take you through the scriptures and take you on a beautiful journey. <laughs> transgender, eunuchs, you name it. The, the book of Esther. Mm -hmm. God saves his people through who? Through Esther? No, Esther is delivered to the throne through the ministry of eunuchs, yeah. non-binary people. Yeah. All of Esther is about the eunuchs who prepared her for the king. Who even taught her what to say? Two thousand years is, is a long time ago, and you, know, you think we'd have continued progressing. But since. the Book of Esther was, a, was, we believe, was written by Ezra, the minor poet, mm -hmm. two hundred years before Christ, approximately. So when Jesus turned up and was on the scene, very possibly, the Book of Esther was being read in the synagogues. They were unrolling the parchments mm. and reading the Book of Esther, reading all about the eunuchs. So when Jesus says. In Matthew 19, some are born eunuchs, some are born neither male or female, some are born into sex, neither male nor female, they're born that way, Jesus is saying that. In what context did he say connected. some are born eunuchs? The Pharisees come to him and they're questioning him about divorce, they want to trap him, they want to trip him up uh -huh. with their rules and their regulations and their laws uh -huh. and their traditions and their orthodoxy. And Jesus replies in a very oblique way. And he says a very bizarre thing, a very offensive thing to religious leaders because eunuchs were despised people. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden Jesus is saying, some are born eunuchs. He's right in their face. And who's, who's in the gathering around the Pharisees and Jesus? The disciples. Because they say, well if marriage is so bloody difficult, what's the point of getting married? And then Jesus says, some are born eunuchs. Some are made eunuchs by others, which was the traditions that were around in Babylon and Persia, mm -hmm. which is the context of the book of Esther. And then Jesus says, and some choose to live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about celibacy. That's a very valid understanding of eunuch, but it's not just about celibacy. Because he's talking about people born as eunuchs. He's talking about people intersex. So what does Jesus mean when he says some choose to live as eunuchs, non-binary, between male and female, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? There's something there. There's something beautiful. There's something rich. There's something... It's funny how we think we're so progressive now. Now there's a space, you know, for transgender communities um, to... To, to grow and evolve, but you were talking 2,000 years ago if, and, and beyond, right? Okay. We take the Hishara community in India, Th that is documented for nearly 5,000 mm. years. Eunuchs we're are behind, we, we think we're progressive, accepted. but we're behind in yeah. many ways, aren't yeah. we? We're still catching up. Well, Christianity, orthodoxy, has again sought to oppress and repress and persecute and eradicate and erase transgender people from existence and the church mm -hmm. has been one of the primary forces to do that mm -hmm. and so now the transgender community god is raising up to say hello how what are you going to do about this we've mm -hmm. always existed we've been around for thousands of years we're in your book it's amazing how <sighs> there's this idea in some of you know these kind of post-christian circles that that i move in that we're trying to knock off some of the hard edges of the of the gospel and simplify it and and ignore the difficult parts of it but i i feel that the opposite is true you know the more that you dig into like the truth of 
of the Bible, it, it's 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 going back to it. You know, I've got my what's it? My friend Lisa describes herself as being um, um, a radical fundamentalist <laughs> because she says, you know, it's radical. The word radical means um, it's like rice in Spanish. It's the word for roots. So you, you you're going back to your roots by being by being radical. And the fundamental core of the Bible, you know, it's 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 not changed. So, <laughs> I the word progressive is a difficult word, isn't I th- it? I think I think what we have to understand here is that orthodoxy has sought to eradicate and erase transgender existence. Even today, Western society operates on intersex children when they are born to conform them to male or female regardless of the distress, the torment Mm. that that will cause the child. Mm. It's primitive, it's barbaric to operate on somebody, to normalise them, because we play take the role of God. Mm. These children who are born eunuchs, who are born intersex, who are born Mm. between male and female, they shouldn't be forced into being male or female. They should be allowed to grow, to identify and understand who they are before God as he created them. Mm. And the transgender issue isn't so far from the intersex issue. They're very, very closely tied and united. And eunuch, if you spend a few months studying eunuchs in history, if you study eunuchs biologically, if you study eunuchs anthropologically, historically, biblically, it's such a vast subject that the evangelical circles ignorance and judgment about it is is blind ignorance there's no scientific understanding there's no biblical understanding in their judgments and i'm talking about professors of theology and bishops it's funny how people want to throw these 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 things scientifically if we're going to have babies there needs to be man and there needs to be a woman people throw the word science at things when the science isn't there to back that up as well as people throw the word biblical at things when (laughs) when when the scriptures aren't there to back up their opinion you know it's a very it's a very simplistic view of both science and religion to talk about things in a very um binary way right oh gosh There's a wonderful passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 56. And God is talking about eunuchs and the foreigners, the aliens in the land. And he says, let no eunuch complain that they are a dry tree. Let no eunuch complain that they are infertile, that they cannot have children. That in in, in the sense that they have no worth, they have no lineage, they have nothing Mm -hmm. to leave this life, this world. That they're worthless people. God says, let no eunuch complain that they are a dry tree because I shall give them a name in my temple greater than that of sons and daughters greater than that of sons and daughters that a eunuch could be given a place a name in the temple greater than that of a son and daughter what is greater than being a child of God what is greater than being a daughter or a son of God God says I will give the eunuch a name in my temple greater than that of sons and daughters so these poor intersex kids God elevates and puts them in a place of prominence over and above male and female. And he says, you are beautiful and I will honour you and I will remember you for all eternity. And what does the church try and do? The church tries and wipes us out. And it has done for 2,000 years. But hello, we're still here and we're coming back and we're going to stand in your church. Who do we think we are to push people 
to the fringes of society, to deliberately exclude people. And I'm not, not just talking about the church, I'm talking about society as a whole. When those people, when, when even biblically God is calling those people to be central and to be, and to be valued. And what do we lose as a society to, to, to push people to, to the edges? Does it, you know, I don't know. It feels like such a huge waste if and a you, huge, huge travest, you, travesty. If you go to the, I believe it's the east coast of Africa, then people who are born with cleft palates are demonised by society. They are believed to be cursed. They are believed to be even possessed. And some families will even kill a child who's born with a cleft yeah. palate. Yeah because of the stigma, the shame that that family will carry, or even to save that child from the hate and the persecution it would experience with the cleft palate. Now, Africa, the east coast of Africa is changing, but that is still an underlying belief. If you go to the, sorry, that's the west coast of Africa. If you go to the east coast of Africa, the same applies to albino African children. So what I'm saying is that society demonizes that which is outside of the norm, that which is not ordinary. Eunuchs and transgender people are not ordinary, and we suffer the same hatred and violence from mainstream society, mainstream church. And I say, shame on you. Yeah. I would say there were two things thinking about people who were listening. And I'd say there were one, there'll be people who are listening who feel that in some way they're on, they've been pushed away for being different in any way. Um, and there'll be the people listening who have done the pushing, who, who, in order to feel more secure in who they are, they've pushed away people who, who are different. And I'd say if you identify as someone who has, find it difficult to accept people who are different to you, then allow those people, draw those people back into that, that central space that they deserve to be in. And I'd also say if you are on the fringes, even if you feel like a misunderstood musician or or you know even uh, your sexuality or whatever it is that that, that that when you feel that you've been pushed to the fringes i would say take up that space don't wait to be invited into that space would you say that's something that that you're doing is that you're just owning that space even though you're not invited into it do you just take that space anyway you seem to be someone who just takes that space even though you're not even, or, even orthodoxy believes and declares that Jesus occupied the space of the marginalised, that he included the marginalised, yeah. he spent his time with the marginalised. Yeah. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, complain that he spent time with tax collectors, drunkards, gluttons, sinners, prostitutes, lepers, the unkosher. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus. The marginalised. And if they're not doing that, then they're not following Jesus, so are they? My question today is, who are the marginalised? Mm-hmm. Who is the church trying to marginalise? Who are the religious leaders trying to marginalise? So for me, I feel compelled by the kingdom of heaven, by the love of God, to go and stand in conservative evangelical churches and say, how are you going to treat us? How are you going to treat me as a marginalised person, as a transgender person? Are you going to love me? Are you going to judge me? Are you going to hate me? Am I excluded from the communion table? Am I excluded from the leadership table? Am I to be erased? Am I to be honoured? Am I to be listened to? Am I to be silenced? Mm-hmm. I just want to stand in your midst and say, here I am, here we are. If you're going to honour the Bible, 
how are you going to honor it if Jesus was did Jesus ever exclude anyone I don't think so I don't think so someone talked recently about um who would be if it was Jesus deciding who got into heaven I don't think anyone really would be left out <laughs> didn't tend to do that did he the, the righteous love to demonize the gay community they love to demonize the queer community they 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 love that we are judged by the word of God because they feel more righteous they can point the finger at us and say yeah. these poor people and it makes them feel good mm-hmm. but their understanding of scripture is so one dimensional so restricted so limited and again the word homosexual didn't even exist in the bible pre-1940s Mm-hmm. It only appeared in the Bible. Homosexuality was coined in the late 1800s. It only entered common usage in the 50s, 60s. And so Bible translation interpretation has taken the word homosexual and placed it over words which don't mean homosexual. So much of what you think is the Bible, the Bible just ends up being an English translation of it. It's, I find it's, that interesting. It's motivated by a political agenda, by a religious, conservative, evangelical, a church that felt threatened by all the soldiers coming back from the Second World War, yeah. who hung out in San Francisco, and uh, you know they discovered in the war that they were gay. Yeah. And when they came home, they were excluded from their communities. So where did they hang out? They hung out in the cities. Good old San Francisco. And the gay communities formed. Yeah. And, and the, the translation of the word homosexuality was a defensive knee-jerk to judge the homosexual community to make sure that the church remained pure and unperverted. When, the, and when it's the, just if, in, if the church had been founded by Jesus, it would have been founded on a, in a doctrine of, in, of, in, of inclusion, and then it, it goes that way. So, but, when, <sighs> so when you look at the, the actual root meaning of the words that are translated now in our Bibles as homosexual, they don't mean homosexual. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really interesting. What I like about you, the Chrissy... Church is crippled by ignorance. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I, I'm always very, very careful of criticising people for criticising. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. I end up being a criticiser, so what's the difference? But yeah. but there's something about you know, what you said about you, you still being in those church spaces. It's even if you are, uh, what's the word, disincluded by people you still include the people who won't include you absolutely I love to include those who don't include you i think that's the only way to respond to not being included i love the church i'm passionate about the church i weep for the church i love the church with my whole being yeah that's the only way and i i, I feel sorry for the church i feel sorry for it and its ignorance and its blindness its prejudice its bigotry its judgment my thing is, is that I find it very hard to judge people because I think sometimes people don't have all the information, right? Maybe they, if someone does have all the information and they, 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 they still won't include people and still attack people, then I, that, that's harder to forgive. But I think so often if people have been brought up being told a certain thing. I think the evangelical church has to accept, has to admit that it indulges in indoctrination and many of the pastors, many of the teachers and many of the theologians have been indoctrinated. Their yeah. theology isn't their own, it's not authentic, it's inherited and they yeah. claim it as orthodoxy but again, what is orthodoxy? <laughs> I believe more in orthopraxy than orthodoxy if I had to choose. I, I don't think belief is that important actually. 
I think it's not just like what what you do, but I, I I don't even know what I believe. I think quite often it's very hard for us to know what we believe. Okay, isn't it? I'll leave you with one thought. Yes, then. please. Okay. And then we'll go get a drink. Yeah. The most I I believe God or no God that the most important thing about any person, any individual, the most important thing about you is what you believe about yourself. Mm. Because it will define and determine the course of your whole existence. It will determine mm. your every step, your every thought, your relationships, what you do, what you don't do. What you believe about yourself, what we believe, determines our lives. I think, and so I yeah. think belief is critical because belief is actually inseparably, integrally interlinked with with our life our breath our action our steps our daily work labor joy and pain and suffering the belief is one and part of, of it all i think we are allowed to love ourselves sometimes we feel like it's an extra indulgence to have <laughs> self-love like oh really love other people if you have any left over give some to yourself how can you but how can you love your neighbor if you, you don't love yourself, love your neighbour as yourself. Mouth. Love your neighbour as yourself. So it's got to start with self-love and self-acceptance. And from that point, you love others, right? Mm. Oh my gosh, so much to think about. Ah, well, let's go get a drink and um, I'll talk to you guys in a minute. So Chrissy and I went off and had a lovely, lovely drink together. I had a beautifully hoppy IPA and Chrissy had a Belgian beer and we continued our conversation. I hope that you forgive the uh, the background noise there of cars going past and all of that, but I was so grateful to be able to grab that conversation there in the moment. Um, wonderful power of technology, being able to record so easily uh, on my phone and in the moment, and just to go with the whole flow of that beautiful encounter. I would like to leave you with some of Chrissy's own words. She has a Facebook group called Transgender Church. If anyone is listening to this who is transgender themselves or anyone who knows a transgender Christian, their voice is so needed and so important and so central right now that I do recommend that you contact I put them into contact with um with Chrissy on that Facebook group. I um I'm going to read Chrissy's words in my own voice because I believe that today that that is what we need to do, not just give each other space but also give voice to each other. We are all one. There is no margins. There are no fringes. We are all central. We are all needed. We are all important. And I am so privileged to be able to read this for you now. My voice, her words, the, the prophetic role of the transgender community is a powerful, beautiful and much needed thing, not only in the church, but in the world today. I deliberately stand in the midst of any church. In doing that, God is able to ask church a question. Will I be tolerated, given a phony warm welcome? Will I be rejected? Will I be honoured? Because Christ lives in you and me. 
Holy Spirit graces us with her love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control and long-suffering spirit. Our prophetic presence in the church's midst and how they treat us is the surest sign of whether they as a church will welcome the weak, the marginalised, the poor and the vulnerable or Jesus himself. It forces church to either cling to patriarchy or walk with Christ into a broken, hurting world. God is restoring, recognising and honouring you, your role in creating and leading church into a healthier place of love, truth and grace. Go, occupy that space. The kingdom of heaven is upon you, within you. Like raindrops in frozen stone, we may seem nothing, powerless, insignificant, but the greatest buildings ever made can be reduced to rubble if rain penetrates their mighty walls. Patriarchy, like slavery, has to be destroyed for church to ever find her freedom and role as the bride of Christ. She cannot serve both. We, as intersex, transgender and eunuch, are God's way of telling the patriarchy their party of power is over. How we are treated determines how Holy Spirit chooses to grace the church with her presence. We reject their ways, their weapons and their words. The use of position, power privilege is not the way Christ leads the church. He gets down low in the dirt of broken lives and washes our feet. We are here to stay. I am going nowhere except where Jesus leads me. The world will watch and see that we are not just on the right side of history but forcing the change. You have a beautiful role to fulfil in breathing the Spirit of God into both church and world. Yes, there will be those who reject, cold shoulder, who hug warmly but whose hearts are frozen. They are the ones we need to feel sorry for. Jesus never said it would be easy. All he ever promised was that there would be tears and pain, suffering, but oh, the joy of being loved, called, welcomed and cherished by him. So eternal life floods and flows from within. Let your love and grace and beauty out. Go find some churches to stand in, to sit amongst. How they treat you is how they treat Jesus. just want to add a super quick footnote. My friend Lisa and I have started a Facebook group. The name of Lisa's podcast is Getting Naked with Lisa. The name of my podcast, you know, we have amalgamated those two names and started a group called Getting Naked with Drunken Nuns. So stick that into your Facebook and join in the conversation. 
if you're up for it. See you all soon.